Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with charging God foolishly as we pick up in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 27. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. God wanted to free them from the horrible bondage of Egypt, yet now they are accusing God of hating them. You remember the case of Job. It said, and in all of these things, that is the loss of his family and his wealth and all, he did not curse God, neither did he charge God foolishly. Now, this is a foolish charge that they brought against God, and it is something that we oftentimes are prone to do. When things aren't going right, I hear people sometimes make very foolish charges against God. Nothing irritates me more than to have people make foolish charges against God. I was had a young man come in when we were back over in the little chapel and he was, you know, God led me to do this and God led me to do that and God led me here and, and, and then he, you know, God led me out there and I almost starved to death and, and, you know, God told me to go here and it was just really horrible and all and, and all this stuff and he's saying God led him to do this and God led him to do that. And, and then he, he really started getting on God's case. Why would God leave me there and then, you know, dump me and all this kind of stuff? Well, it was obvious God didn't lead him. Uh, he, he was just being led by his own mind. And, and, and he started complaining so much about God, I grabbed hold of him and I said, hey, you shut up and get out of here. I'm tempted to smack you in the mouth talking about God that way. I can't stand that. Now shut up. To hear someone, you know, making all these accusations against God. Horrible things. It's tragic. And here the people were, were making this blasphemous accusation. Because God hates us, he brought us out here. Oh, what a horrible thing to say. So the people were discouraged. And they said, the people are greater and taller than we are. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. And we have seen the sons of the Anakims. Now, the Anakims were giants. And we have seen the sons of the Anakims there. So their, their fear was inspired because of the cities that were high and walled and because the, the people, the inhabitants, were, were large, gigantic kind of people. And I said unto you, Dread not, neither be afraid of them, for the Lord your God which goes before you shall fight for you according to the, all that he did in Egypt before your eyes. Yet in this thing you did not believe the Lord your God. The tragedy of unbelief, verse 32. Now he, he I love this, he points out how that God had been with them through the wilderness ex experience. And the beautiful thing is, is that God is with you even in the wilderness experiences. You may not enter into the best that God has. You may not possess all of your possessions. And yet, if you spend your life roaming in the wilderness, it's not God's will, it's not his desire. 
but he will be with you there and help you there. God will lift you to the highest level that you will allow him to lift you and do the best for you on that level. But the work of God in our life is always limited by us. We are always the one that put the restrictions upon what God can do for us. We're the ones that place the limits on God's work. In Psalms it says, and they limited the Holy One of Israel by their unbelief. And it is always our unbelief that places the limitations upon the work that God is seeking to do in our lives. Listen, God will take you all the way if you'll just believe him and trust him for it. But you are the one that puts the limitations on what God wants to do. But God will lift you to the highest level you will let him. And there in the wilderness, he speaks of the Lord your God who went in the way before you to search you out a place to pitch your tents in the fire by night to show you by what way you should go in the cloud by day. In other words... He is saying that God went before you through the wilderness to search for the best place for you to pitch your tent and then led you by the fire and by the cloud. Oh, if we only realized how all-encompassing the work of God is that surrounds our lives. God went before you to find the place for you to pitch your tents. They came to a place, they said, oh my, this looks like a good place to pitch our tents. Of course it is. God went before you and prepared you that place and then led you to it so that they could say, all the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? But the Lord heard the words of your complaining. He was angry. And said, you're not to go in, but then Moses reminds them how that they got together and said, oh, we've sinned against God. We'll, we'll go in. We'll take the land. And Moses said, no, don't. God said that he's not going to deliver the, them into your hand and how that they armed themselves anyhow and went up against the hill of the Amorites and were pursued by them. And some of them were slain because they presumed to go without the presence of God. So they began the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, which Moses begins to rehearse for them in chapter 2. So we turned and took our journey by way of the wilderness back toward the Red Sea. And the Lord spake unto me, saying, You've compassed this mountain long enough. Go north. And he commanded the people, saying, You are to pass through the coast of your brethren, the children of Esau, which dwelt in Seir. But don't meddle with them, for I have not given you their land, not as much as a foot in it, because I have given Mount Seir unto Esau for his possession. So you are to buy your meat and your water, but you are only to pass through. For the Lord God has blessed thee in all the works of your hands, and he knows that thy walking through this great wilderness for these 40 years, that the Lord thy God hath been with thee, you have lacked nothing. And therein is a miracle of over a million people, 40 years and yet not lacking in that wilderness. And when you pass by our brethren, the children of Esau, which dwelt in Seir, you came to the plains of Ezion Geber, and turned and passed by the way of the wilderness of Moab. And the Lord said, Don't distress the Moabites, 
Neither contend with them in battle, for I will not give you their land as a possession, because it's given to the children of Lot. Now, he is pointing out something. This area of Moab was once inhabited by the Emons. And the Emons were relatives to the Anakims who were giants. Now, their fear of going into the land was because there were giants there. Now he's really seeking to build up their faith in God. Look, you don't have to worry about the giants. God can deliver the giants in your hand. They're not supermen. The Emons used to dwell in this area of Moab until the children of Lot took it, moved in and took it, and they drove the Emons out because God had promised this area to the children of Lot. So he's, he's pointing out that these giants have been driven out of other territories. And one of them, of course, was the territory of Moab, which was inhabited by the descendants of Lot. And the Horims also dwelt in Seir before time. But the children of Israel succeeded them and destroyed them and dwelt there in their stead. And so the space that we came from Kadesh Barnea until the brook Zered was 38 years. It took them 38 years to make that short journey until all of the generation of the men of war were wasted as the Lord had sworn unto them. For indeed the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them. And so he said, you're to pass through Moab this day, and when you come near against the children of Ammon, don't distress them or meddle with them. For I will not give thee the land of the children of Ammon any possession, because I've given it to the children of Lot. That also was accounted a land of giants, for giant dwelt there in old times, and the Ammonites called them the Zamzumims. Even their name strikes terror in the hearts. Can't you imagine the guys talking around the fire at night and saying, wow, the Zamzumans are over there. <laughs> but again, he's pointing out the fact that you don't have to worry about giants. Now, the, the, the report was there are giants in the land. You don't have to worry about these giants. These giants were existing here in, in this land that God gave to the descendants of Lot. In Moab, in Seir, and in the area of Ammon, the giants were there, but God delivered them. And so rise up, take your journey, pass over the river Arnon, and behold, I have given into thy hand Sihon the Amorite, the king of Heshbon, and his land, and so begin to possess the land. So north of the area of Jabok, they began to possess the land, and they began to destroy the kings. Sihon, king of Eshbon, would not let us pass by him, for God hardened his heart, made his heart obstinate, that he might deliver him into your hand, as he has done. So Sihon came out against all, with all of his people to fight at Jahaz, and the Lord delivered them and smote them, and we began to take the land. In chapter 3, so we turned and went by the way of Basham unto Og, the king of Bashan, who came out against us with all of his people. 
And the Lord said unto me, Don't fear him, for I will deliver him and all of his people and his land into your hands. And thou shalt do unto him as you did unto Sion, the king of the Amorites, which dwelt at Heshbon. So the Lord our God delivered into our hands Og also, the king of Bashan, and all of his people. And we took all of his city. And there was not a city of them that was not taken, some 60 cities. Now, he points out, all of these cities were fenced with high walls, gates, and bars. And besides that, we took a lot of unwalled cities. In other words, they had conquered 60 walled cities from Basham. Now you're going to go in and you got the reports and you remember the report that struck fear in the hearts was that there are high walled cities and giants. And that was the thing that struck terror and fear into their hearts that destroyed their faith, caused them to turn away. So now Moses is pointing out, look, it is nothing with God. You don't have to worry about the walled cities. You don't have to worry about the giants. If God be for us, who can be against us? And God has promised to go before you and to drive out your enemies. And thus these things that cause terror and fear in your hearts that destroyed your faith do not need to stop you now. Go in. And he's seeking to build up their faith in God. Venture out. Let God have an opportunity to work. And so he, he is careful to point out that they'd already conquered walled cities, the areas of the giants. And so in verse 11, for only Og the king of Basham remained of the remnants of the giants. Og himself was a giant. He had a bed that was 13 feet long, king-sized bed and some six feet wide. He was a big guy, needed a big bed. He was the last of the giants in that area, and God delivered him into your hands. And you possessed his land, and it was given to the Reubenites and, the, and unto the Gadites. And then the other area northward was given unto Manasseh, clearing up to Mount Hermon. That whole area of the Golan was conquered. And so he declares unto them, verse 21, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done unto these two kings, and so shall the Lord do unto the kingdoms where you are passing. You've seen what God can do. And so he is going to do in these kings where you're going to be coming. Don't be afraid. Don't stop. Don't quit now. Ye shall not fear them, for the Lord your God shall fight for you. And I besought the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord, thou hast begun to show thy servant thy greatness and thy mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven and earth but can do according to thy works and according to thy might? And I pray thee, let me go over and see the good land which is beyond Jordan and the goodly mountains and Lebanon. Oh, Moses, though he was 120 years old, he was ready for it. Lord, come on, please, let me go in. I've seen, Lord, you're beginning to wipe out the enemies. Oh, this is exciting, Lord. I love this. And Lord, I just love to see that land. I'd like to see the mountains of Lemon, and I'd like to see this land that you've promised. Lord, won't you let me go in? 
And Moses here is praying, asking God to allow him to go in. Now, when they had come in the wilderness and were needing water, they had said to Moses, give us water to drink. We're perishing. Moses went in before the Lord and said, Lord, these people are ready to kill me. They want water. And God said, go out and speak to the rock and water will come forth. The first time God said, smite the rock and water will come out. The second time God said, speak to the rock. But Moses was angry with the people. And he went out from before the Lord and he said, must I smite this rock again to give you water? And he took his rod and he smote the rock and water came out. But God said, Moses, come here, son. (laughs) Moses, you blew it. You did not properly represent me before those people. Now, Moses was God's representative. And God wasn't angry with him, but Moses was. And Moses, as God's representative, represented God as being angry with him. And he did not properly represent God before the people. And God said, Moses, that's a serious error. And because you have not properly represented me before the people, you cannot go into the land. God wanted to impress upon the minds of the people the importance of obedience the importance of our being proper representatives of him, for you are God's representative in the world today. Jesus said, ye are my witnesses. You are to be representing Jesus before the world. Now, the question is, are we representing him properly? What concepts are people getting of Jesus as they look at us? As we are God's representative in the world today, what concepts are people getting of God? Do they really know that God cares? Do they really know that God is love? How do I represent God? Very important that we properly represent God. And God is stressing and seeking to stress the importance that we recognize that we are his representatives and that we represent him faithfully and truthfully before the world. Moses failed. He represented God as being angry. God wasn't angry. And so God said, Moses, because you failed to represent me before the people, you cannot go into the land. Now Moses has seen some of the enemies conquered. He sees them beginning to take the land. Adrenaline is flowing. This is exciting. Oh, Lord, please. I'd love to go in and see the mountains of Lebanon. I'd like to see those valleys and the rivers and all that are there. Lord, I'd love to see the land. Let me go in, Lord. I want to see you, you know, smite the enemies there. I want to see the people. And the Lord said to Moses, let it suffice thee. Don't speak to me anymore of this matter. Moses, don't talk to me about it. You can't go. Now here's a case where God did not answer Moses' prayer 
in the affirmative. He answered the prayer. He said no. And God always answers prayer. Sometimes the answers are yes. Sometimes the answers are no. But this is the case where Moses' request was not granted by God in order that God might teach the nation the importance of obedience. And in the years to come, as the Jewish mothers would hold their babies upon their laps and tell them the glorious stories of how God used a man by the name of Moses who as a child was protected by God and taken out of the bulrushes by the princess of the land of Egypt when it was ordered that all of the children should die and how he grew up in the Pharaoh's court and how he made his decision to align himself with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season and how God brought through him the plagues upon the Egyptians and spoiled the Egyptians and how he led the people out of Egypt and out of their bondage and how the Red Sea was parted by the rod that he lifted and how God brought the water out of the rock and then their voices would hush. Return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Deuteronomy on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Deuteronomy 1 through 3 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord bring you into a special consciousness of His presence of his love, of his interest in your life. And may you walk in the consciousness of God's grace and be led by his spirit. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Undoubtedly, one of the most glaring signs that our society is in trouble is the breakdown of the family unit. Marriages just aren't making it today, and kids are suffering as they watch the breakup of their homes. Those marriages still holding together are often plagued by conflict and turmoil, making the home a battleground instead of a refuge. That's why The Word for Today would like to present Pastor Chuck Smith's Marriage and Family MP3, 
where Pastor Chuck discusses basic biblical principles to keep a family's love alive. Each member of the family has a different set of needs and responsibilities. And when you know and apply God's principles, everyone in the family can experience real peace, real joy, and an agape love. To order your copy of the Marriage and Family MP3 by Chuck Smith, call The Word for Today at 800-272-WORD or visit us online at thewordfortoday.org.